Peace, love, and fish grease family. It's your girl, Coffee, here for another episode, special edition of Passion Meets Politics. Out here centering my people, telling our stories, and I am sitting here with Erica. Hey. Erica and I literally just met. I put out a call. Um, if you all follow me on social media, I put out a call, and I was like, yo, I want to hear from my people. I want to hear our stories. Uh, and she hit me up and was like, I'm with it. Let's do it. Um, and she has apparently been up since 2 a.m., so we're going to try to make it quick <laughs> so I don't keep her here all along. But please introduce yourself to the people. All right. What's up, Philly? What's up, Philly? It's Erica Stewart, uh, community servant, advocate for anybody who needs to advocate when it comes to mental health, homeless, uh, especially LGBTQ. So that's why I'm here today to represent for my family. That's great. That's great work. So tell me more about uh, the advocacy work that you do. Uh, so I would say for the last 16 years, this is a celebration of basically getting involved, grassroots efforts, working with um, different populations, HIV positive, LGBTQ, homeless, um, as well as working with people on the spectrum, autism spectrum disorder, um, being able to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. My voice speaks for itself. Um, and I got a face that you won't forget. So, you know, when I step into a room, I definitely get a lot of attention, but now that you know, I'm able to redirect it for the lives of others. It's way, it's way better. So what got you started in wanting to advocate? What was it? What was the spark for you? Um, I got tired of being bullied. Um, mm. I've looked the same way since I was about seven <laughs> until now when I'm 31. Um, I've looked the same masculine presenting female. Either I had long hair or a nice texture of a low cut, um, but definitely was big body. Um, big brown and, and and just loved I loved who I was um, and a lot of people didn't understand that growing up and maybe the 90s and the early 2000s um, middle school was rough high school was rough a lot of times I got um, bullied by teachers not even by the students when it came to using wow. bathrooms and playing sports so I had to get to a point where I had to find a balance of not being violent and at the same time speaking up for myself Right. First of all, wow. <laughs> like, teachers were bullying you? Yeah, because I wanted to play football, and they didn't have a rule where you, females couldn't play football. So, you know, when you play sports in high school, teachers are responsible for that. Counselors play a part in that. And um, when people don't identify, they don't understand how you identify, whether it's gay, lesbian, transgender, or I'm just this. Uh, the term tomboy would come flying across the table right. or you don't know what you are. You need to get yourself together. And those mm. comments um, can be overwhelming for somebody that is actually trying to get themselves together right. and kind of find who they are in the world. I'm trying to think of like how I want to frame this question. So how did you, how did you know? Like what was the moment when you were like, oh, I'm different. So um, right. the person I was talking to before you um uh, Reverend Dasha, she was. Uh, we were talking about queerness, mm -hmm. and we were talking about how queer is everybody is queer, mm -hmm. and she's like, not queer. People automatically jump to the erotic of queer, right. like they automatically start thinking right. about sex, and I don't know why, but she was like, peculiar people, like strange people, people who push boundaries, like mm -hmm. that is why. That's why I identify as queer. Um, so why why did you why do you identify as you identify, and when did you know? Um, I knew as a kid, I knew like when it was time to like line up for kindergarten boy and girl, I knew when it was like time to take pictures at church and we had to put this outfit on and like matching outfits, me and my mom. So it just was like that kind of that, that norm that I knew, um, 
I wanted to break and I had a loving mom and she's still here with us, but I had a loving mom that like embraced all of it. Like you want to do this, then you can do this. You want to do this, you can do this. And it came down to underwear. It came down how I um, wore my hair, whatever um, jewelry I wanted to wear. But definitely when it came to playing sports, I played football, basketball, got a black belt in Taekwondo. Come um, on now. So she's not, a, my mom wasn't a person to be like, you can't do this. Um, that was, that is like the foundation of realizing that I don't have to be normal. Um, and I always wonder who I look like. Like, I didn't meet my dad till I was 25. My mom is brown skin. She's short. So we like the complete opposite. So I always felt like I was defying boundaries when it came to high school graduation. I wore a suit. I went with a girl. Then another prom, I went with a guy. But these these are your allies. These are real people that 20 years from now I can still see. And we still laugh about when we went to prom and wear matching suits. Um, so that's really what an ally is and knowing like my mom was my ally and mm. kind of, it didn't feel like I had to realize it just felt like that was the norm to me that I'm attracted to feminine femininity. Um, as well as I know I'm attracted to biological women and it goes down into who I really am. Right. Uh, so you said something about allyship and that's a word I hate. And let me tell you why I hate it. Because I feel like it's been co-opted into this really soft thing. Right. Like, you can you can put a rainbow sticker on the back of your car and claim that you're an ally. I like the word accomplice, right? Because right. I need people who bought that action. <laughs> because if something goes on in the streets, I need to know that I can actually depend on you. Right. If somebody is trying to cause me harm, I need to know that you are about that life. About that life. No, I respect right. it. I definitely respect it. I would say in terms of... Um, being a survivor of PTSD and then um, being a survivor of post-concussion syndrome, a lot of times I'm mindful of like what space I give other people in my life. Um, and that's a conversation I have often with like when black men is like, I love you, eh? I bang with you, eh? but them other people, and I'm like, we'll get to that. So it's never the short stick of like, I'm okay with you just liking me mm-hmm. because I want you to like my friends. Right. Um, but I have to respect that they are who they are, too. And there may be things that they do that I don't like. They might cheat on their wife. That don't mean that, like, I'm going to be okay with those things. Right. Um, so there's different levels of, like, the space you take up in the world. Mm. So I definitely appreciate the term accomplice because when you walk outside, you definitely need somebody that's going to ride with you. Right. Um, I like that. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Even, even the thing that you just said about black men, like, that's the thing that I struggle with the most. Because, like, okay, so, you know, before Nipsey died... It was a whole thing. He said some real homophobic stuff, right? right? Then he gets on the Breakfast Club and he apologizes because he right. like that. That wasn't my intention, right? But intent versus impact. You can say some stuff because right. that's what you think, right? But it's you got to be careful because you might unintentionally hurt someone in the process. Right. Um, and then when he died, I actually, you know, a lot of queer people were like, "I'm not mourning him," da, 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 da. but I started thinking about the ways in which I grew up. So I grew up with like, I grew up in West Philly. My cousins was about that action. They was about mm-hmm. that life, you know. And um, they were often like the kind mm-hmm. of people who fetishize like lesbians. Like I only want a girl who like a girl when it benefits me and mm-hmm. my sex life. Right, right. And then um I think one of my older cousins came out and they kinda had to grapple with that. So they did that thing that you just said. Like, right. oh I bang with you but I don't really bang with them. Like, no. Right. Right. She was like, nah, you gotta bang with all of my homies. Like all of them. Right. Or I'm or I'm not coming around. And because they, they were so tight and they all grew up together, it was just like, okay, I have to, you know, make this 
make the sacrifice. I have to do, I actually have to do the work now. So hearing that, watching them do the work and like still do the work around me, right? Like hold space for me because I mean, my, me being out is new to them. Um, And them holding space for me is new to them. So with people like Nipsey, with like black men who have been indoctrinated with homophobia and you know very much like race first you black first before you Mm -hmm. any of that other stuff how do we get them and i'm not saying that it's our work right right because i I don't believe in like the labor of of queer especially queer women to educate the world but um how do we get them to see or help them to see guide them what do we do to get them to see that blackness is not just this monolithic thing and that it's it's not categorized right Right. like how do we how do we expand their minds in that way gotcha no you didn't (laughs) so i would say take the color out of it i know it's easier said than done but one of my best friends um is albino um so a lot of times when we were in high school as I was de- developing who I was, he was developing who he was. Um, and a lot of times people would be like, but you're still black. Um, so it's like you still want to see those features on a person of African-American descent. You're still going to see the ways of life. But I think that us accepting each other as survivors mm-hmm. um, is very important because our black men are endangered species. They have targets on their back. Um, we're suffering from a generational genocide where we're killing each other or we're killing ourselves. So I think we really have to take the color out of it because when we look at what makes a man and what makes a woman, if in 2019 you clearly can't see that because you have these specific body parts um, does not make you a man or make you a woman, um, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. Um, Whether it's on understanding like from a celebrity point of view with different people that can use their platforms. um, But at the same time, looking at the people, the movers and shakers here in Philly that are doing amazing things um, that are openly LGBTQ identified, I feel like take their color out of it. um, And they're still doing amazing things. Right. Um, And we have to really remember where we came from. And when you had that generational genocide, you forget that, you know, maybe the kind of work you did. My mom was uh, educated for 35 years. Mm -hmm. So I can trace back for what she did. But, you know, having conversations with other people, I would be interested in, you know, what legacy their families um, hold and, you know, what they bring to the table as maybe the first queer person of their family to be an entrepreneur or to be anything above what the norm is. Um, And I think it's really just important, like I said, to take the race out of it because that's what's obvious. Right. So you feel like we should attack the systemic stuff. Yeah, we got to attack the systemic stuff. Got it. I definitely believe that, too. I be, but I also am one of those people who are like, nope, I'm all these things at the same time. So I am black, I am queer, I am a woman, and right. I am also about that action, about attacking these systems. And sometimes I feel like we can get, like you say, get so caught up in the binary of it all that it actually gets dangerous. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Get, right. And we get derailed from the work. Like, I, there are some points where I'm just like, if people would just stop worrying about what is in my drawer. <laughs> Like, if you would stop worrying about my private business of who I decide I'm going to sleep with, right. if it's, it ain't directly affecting you, but they just built the juvenile justice center down, when they redid the juvenile justice center down, like, 46 and Market, mm-hmm. that's what we should have been focused on. Yep. Not who's sleeping with who. Yep. Not who got a dress on. Not any of those things that... Y'all are so... Like, I, I just don't get it. I feel like it's a level of, like, social delusions. Like, you know, you know right from wrong. You know um, you should treat other people how you want to be treated. But at the same time, like, growing up now, they actually tell you, like, 
you treat people how they want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a big paradigm shift. The same way, like, I was listening to something yesterday, and they were talking about, you know, back in the day, we used to tell our kids, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never hurt you. I right. beg to differ. Right. Um, I've been in plenty of fights because of words that do hurt, um, whether it was about me, whether it was about my mom or my friends. And I've gotten to a point where I know how to use my words um, to fight. I know how to use my verbal words as well as my written words. Um, and that was one of the, like one of the points of being an advocate is that you have to be able to spread your word. Um, right. So I wrote a book to do that. And it's like, it's really important to talk about, I don't look like what I've been through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we, like I said, that social, that social delusion is kind of like, if everything, as long as I'm cool, everything is okay. But that's not the case. That's not the case. Like, we got an excessive amount of homelessness, um, an excessive amount of, like, murders. Last year, 385 murders, but it's only 365 days in a year. Right. Um, so, I think those are the things we really need to be paying attention to rather than who's going in what bathroom. But if we can just stay focused on who's going in what bathroom, then we don't have to look at the bigger problem ahead. Mm. So, you think? So do you think that there's a level of, like, Fear when it comes to attacking the bigger stuff. Most definitely, most definitely. I'm not gonna lie, it's scary. It's 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 scary. I had a whole summer in my life where I was followed by the counterterrorism unit. Mm-hmm. A whole summer in my life, just because I'm associated with the organization I was associated with, like to my house, mm-hmm. where my mother and my grandmother, and my brother live, like. And it reminds you of, like, Big Brother and, like, the books you read when you were growing up in 1984. It just reminds you of, like, what you say can really, like, work against you. Right. Um, and your rights as a human being and um, just, like, the space that we take up as American citizens. It has changed since we have been children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that we should change our stance on who we are and what we believe in. But just know that we're being watched. And once you can accept that. You just move a little bit differently. Yeah, I think I think about a lot of uh, like our ancestors, like our ancestors as in like LGBTQ folks, mm-hmm. who just were monitored by the state. Like I'm reading, I'm currently reading Bayard Rustin's collection of like letters um, through his like jail stints and through him uh, him being a Quaker. Like so, he was black and gay and a Quaker. And a Quaker. <laughs> like. A very strange combination of mm-hmm. things. Um, but there's... I think about um, how they were often just monitored. Phone calls recorded. Things chopped up and played back to their families. Lies being told. FBI agents coming to that. Like, a lot of people think only Martin Luther King went, th- went through those things. That's not true, yeah. But so many of our ancestors, because of who they were, on top of who they were associated with during that time... Also experienced COINTELPRO. Also experienced the psychological abuse mm-hmm. um, put on by the state. So I kind of want to talk about um, the mental health aspect of it. Because mm-hmm. I know you said um, you did some advocacy. You do some advocacy work right. as far as um, queer people and mental health. Why do you feel like it's so hard for queer people to get therapists, to seek therapy, to to find safe space as far as mental health? Uh, feels like what it feels like is you have to find a good mesh. You got to find a good therapist. Right. Um, you got to find somebody that really sees beyond the 
all the letters, but um, also accepts the LGBTQ aspect. Um, myself growing up, I always wanted to be a young black boy. Like, I just wanted to be a young black boy. Now that I'm older, I'm like, I don't want to be a young black boy. <laughs> because the life and, like, the expectation has changed. There's no more playing in the driveway and being able to take your shirt off. There's no more being able to walk down the street with the boys. Like, that, that paradigm shift has changed. Mm-hmm. So it's like when, when I think about what our youth today are going through and why they need someone to speak up for them. It starts with direct care. It starts with the people who are providing the services to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And it shouldn't only be trainings for like those therapists once they graduate um, from their licensing program. That needs to be something that's incorporated the same way they incorporate um, autism spectrum disorder, ADHD. Right. Um, Homosexuality is not and it's not a mental health disorder, Mm -hmm. but it is something that if society does not accept you, it can cause you to have um, disassociation from your community mm-hmm. because you become isolated. So it's like a counter effect. It may not um, harm a person, but the lack of acceptance and the lack of understanding from the environment and like the nucleus around them, the scientific part is really like they're, they're going to, they're not going to make it. They're not going to survive. So I feel like it's important to meet with people who are directly invested into the mental health um, like cycle because it's not just a thing. Like, you come in in crisis, and then when you're not in crisis, what happens? I'm mm. being able to talk about that. So, um, right now, I'm working with a project with the city and really just trying to get some LGBTQ youth out, allies and accomplices. See, I'm not going to take one or the other. I'm going to take both. Come on. I'm going to take one or the other. I'm going to take we both. Them all. So, <laughs> I want to take them out. We can go out and have a good time and just really show them... Um, what their parents can do for them, what their parents will do for them. It's not about what they should do. It's about what they can and will do. Um, really shining the light on that we love you and we embrace you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the mental health aspect really goes into them loving their self mm-hmm. and um, finding a therapist that you can ask direct questions to um, in reference to your everyday behaviors, right. whether it is... Um, taking your meds when you're positive, when you are with a partner, you're positive and that person is negative. When you are a woman who identifies as bisexual, but you're sleeping with a woman who identifies as, um, a woman, but masculine presents, you know, are we getting our, are we getting our pap smears? Like there's Mm. levels to, um, just not the mental health part, but the actual physical health and making sure, you know, same sex relationships when it comes to two women, you know, just maybe put it on the calendar that you both get your mammograms around the same time. So right. you can be supportive. Right. Um, because like, as you're walking life, those things may change when your family, um, disassociates you, your family, you know, shuns you out. You yep. just made me think about a whole lot like that. I hadn't even thought about. Yeah. Cause like, there's so much more to like the mental health. Like if you hate yourself, um, yeah, that's a mental health. But at the same time, you hate yourself because of the way you look and you don't have access um, to food resources, health resources. And it could just be getting your high blood pressure. That could be a reason why you're overweight. So it's just different things that when we don't talk about it and there's not a space for us to talk about it, right. you're not opening what is available. Right. I I totally, 100%, like, agree. Like, like that just blew my mind. I think you just caused me to have like a, a shortage in my brain because <laughs> because it's like it's real um and I think about the way that the health um the health industry just does not make space for it yep. um and I'm really really thankful that my therapist although she is a white woman right. um I'm really thankful that she holds space for all of me yeah. because I don't think that I would feel as safe as I do when I go there mm-hmm. if I had not if if it hadn't been like that, you know, right. like 
if she, because I went in there and I laid it out too. Like You got to do the work. Right. You got to do the work. I went in there and I laid it out and I was just like, look, you're a white woman mm-hmm. and we're around the same age. And I'm a black woman and I'm queer and I'm black and queer and I'm an activist. And I'm, I'm going to say some real radical shit. I'm going to say nigga 50 million times because that's in my vocabulary. I got to know that you're not going to flinch. Yeah. And she was like, I understand that. All these are valid concerns. She was like, let's get through our first session. Tell me who you are. And then, you know, mm-hmm. we'll go from there. And it's been nine months. And that's and that's a level of expectation that everyone should receive. Because I can say the same thing about my therapist. Um, I think we had the same conversation. We was like, I'm going to say these things. Right. I need you not to judge me. Right. And we have a level of understanding um, when it comes to who I am and what I'm not going to change. Right. Um, my hair may change. My weight may change. But who I like and who I love that's non-negotiable. Right. Um, so the work that he and I have done for the last year, um, it just has brought me to a point where I'm, I really talk about healing through trauma. Right. Really about trying different things. Um, being like a representation of my brand. Um, I, I am the merchandise. Like if you want to work with me, I tell people to call my phone. I don't have business cards because I spend that money to buy kids lunch. Like it's levels to this. Right. Um, and I just try to make space the same way I make space for myself. I try to take other people with me. So right. like anytime I do an interview, I take somebody with me because I may say something and afterwards I'll be like, damn, I need to cry. Aww. Cause we talking about real life stuff. Right. It's, it's no book for it. Um, it's no book for like how you have to, every time you go to a therapist, you have to tell them the same story. And then for some reason, the therapist always has to go on like a vacation and you have to tell somebody else the same story. But they are allowed vacations, too. Right. They're allowed mental health. So it was right. kind of like understanding that gap in between. Um, and also not putting it off on our friends. Knowing when your friend is your friend and not your therapist. Listen. Because you'll, you'll, lose, you'll lose your friends from that. I be asking people all the time, do you have space for this? Yes. Are you emotionally available? Can you, can can you, you do you it check today? In. If you yes. can't do it today, know. I'm going to go home yep. and cry it yep. out by myself. Yep. But yep. it's very important that we, you know. And, and make a plan. Right, you can right, vent, right. talk all this shit about whoever you want. Right, but at the end of this, so step one is but right <laughs> because the reality is that's how negative energy transfers. That's how mm. negative energy boils. And then when you only have the instinct that you can rely on this friend or this associate for when you in your bag and I just got a vent, mm-hmm. but what comes after that? And how much of a repetitive cycle does that go into your adulthood? Right. So this was great. Hey. I feel like that was a great ending. I feel like the last couple of interviews have just been so good. They've been ending so good. I'm so happy. So, Erica, tell the people where they can find you. Um, all of their uh, website, social media link, all that will be in the description. But let the people know where they can get, where they can get at you at. I mean, to be honest, you're going to see me floating through the streets of Philly. But <laughs> if you want to catch me on social media, healing, H-E-A-L-I-N-G, through trauma. Healing through trauma. All right. Thank you, Erica. This was great. All right, y'all. Remember to like, share, and comment on this joint. Yeah.